Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a new podcast that's all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. In this episode, Jonathan interviews his friend Caleb Campbell. Caleb is a former NFL player, and in this conversation, Caleb talks about his spiritual journey after leaving the NFL and hitting rock bottom. We hope you enjoy Well, welcome everybody to Son of a Preacher Man. We have never done this before. Um, this is kind of unprecedented on so many different levels because uh, one, this is the first time where before posting an audio podcast that we've actually gone live on Facebook and Instagram. Right. So hello Facebook and hello Instagram. And uh, it's also significant because this is the first time I've actually done anything for my new place. So this is where I live here. In Nashville, Tennessee, uh, just moved in like uh, three weeks ago, so this is all new and all exciting. And to make this exponentially cooler, my dear friend Caleb Campbell is here, and this is—it's so good to have you, man. Thank you for hanging out. Thanks for having me. It's—it uh, is an honor to be sure. So, um, I, I want you to hear more of Caleb's story. Caleb played in the NFL. Uh, extraordinary story, even of his journey from being at West Point. We've been internet friends for kind of a long time, and five years. like five years now. <laughs> well, so there's been there's been a bromance happening, and you know, of course, obvious, obviously, for those of you who are watching right now, I've just been trying to help Caleb along in terms of like working out and stuff like that, trying to get him healthy, <laughs> trying to trying to get that 21 inch net going on, and uh, and he's been guiding me in the, the life of the spirit. That's basically yes. how this has worked. But no, we've uh, we, we felt like such good friends for uh, a while from afar. But I was preaching in Ocala, Florida, a couple weeks ago, and. And you live in Sarasota now, yes. And we got to hang out in person for the first time, which was which was so cool. But man, it's so good to have you here. No, it, thank you. And with Stella, everybody. So Stella. if you haven't seen Stella, this is the legendary Stella in real life. Um, I, I did say to Caleb's crew a minute ago. It's worth maybe saying to you guys. So I'm having a little bit of a, like insecurity happening right now because I guess technically you would call my place sort of a, a bachelor's pad, and it's like one thing <laughs> if you if you have a bachelor's pad, which is what I have. While in town, though, Caleb is staying at the bachelor's pad. So that's making me feel a little insecure. The bachelor's pad, right? Your friend was on the bachelor. Yeah, uh, I went to West Point, and so a guy I went to West Point with is Luke Pell. And so Luke has been so gracious uh, to offer me his second bedroom. Yeah. And so I went to dinner with him last night, though, and it's like... What was that like? A lot of energy. A lot of energy? <laughs> Were girls like bum rushing the table? Was it like a whole thing? Yeah, I think it was a lot of like, I think that's Luke. Is that Luke? I think that's I Luke. Is that Luke? I and see. so you knew all this conversation was happening. And unfortunately, it wasn't about me. Right, uh, right. And so I'm so thankful for my healing in life. Yes, yes. Otherwise, I would have been very insecure. All those ego wounds have <laughs> been healed. Yes, yes. All that's been healed. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, so I'm just pumped that we got to connect. Oh, me too, man. And hang and get to really know each other. So it's been totally. A yeah. And I'll say more about this uh, as we go. But seriously, you guys need to follow Caleb on every conceivable <laughs> medium because I just think the work he's doing right now is so important. I mean, it's like there, you know, a uh, lot of lot of voices out there, but very few that I find to be as authentic as Caleb's is. And he he truly speaks to my own. So, and it's it's so interesting considering his his journey and just who he is. And then you've got this guy who, this former football player who's talking so eloquently about vulnerability and 
and, and dealing with, with shame and just like all the real raw stuff. Like it's, it's soulish stuff. So I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing Thank with you. Caleb. So, um, but really I thought since we've got Caleb on the, uh, on the show, I wanted to, I really want to talk about your story sure. because I think it's such a unique story and not just, not just a novel one, but I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a spiritual journey and uh, just one that's impacted me. And I know that our listeners would love to hear. So where do you want to start, man? How, how does Caleb get to be Caleb? If you're, if we're thinking like in, in kind of uh, superhero origin terms here, what's your, what's your origin story? Oh man. I think for me personally, like growing up, right. I've always, I've always known that there's more and I've always been looking for my, the sense of belonging in life. And I think what like a lot of people have a hard time with is like, I'm a professional athlete. Like I play professional sports, I'm in the NFL and I have never felt like I actually belong in life. Right. And so I've never actually felt like I had a place in life. I've always been looking for like, like, why don't I feel like I belong anywhere? And I thought that I found that answer in if I can just make it to the NFL, if I can just play in the NFL, if I, you know, I go from the NFL and I'm a, I'm a West Point graduate and I'm an army officer and I bobsledded for the USA Olympic team, but no matter how much I did, it was never enough. Mm. And I've never ever found that place of belonging in my life. Um, and that in and of itself led me down a, a very spiritual journey. I knew if I didn't leave the NFL, if I didn't walk away from the NFL, um, because of the way that I would numb the pain mm. of never feeling like I belonged anywhere and always feeling this sense of rejection in my life mm. that made me, excuse me, that made me like numb the pain constantly. So drugs, sex, alcohol, nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like I was the party guy and I woke up one day, my, like, remember, like I grew up in a charismatic spirit field. I was talking in tongues before I was talking in English. Wow. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> yeah. I understand. So, um, I grew up in that area and that, in that way of life. And I just had this stark, like this very, this deep realization that if something doesn't change and change soon, um, I'm not going to be here anymore. Mm. You know, and I had that moment where waking up after a party, looking over and seeing the cocaine next to me and being mm. like, I should be dead right now. Mm. I should really be dead right now. And I, so I knew that something was going on inside of me. I wanted to demonize football. Hmm. I wanted to make football the issue. Yeah. And I think we have the tendency of doing that where when our world is falling apart, when all hell is breaking loose, um, our natural tendency is to demonize those people or those things that are closest to us. Yeah, sure. Right. And I don't want to, I want to point the finger. I want to place the blame, but I don't want to see it as a mirror. Yeah. Right. And so I went on this journey of like, okay, for the first time in my life, I have to stop everything hmm. and I have to go back and and like, why do I feel what I feel? Because mm. I've always been known, Jonathan, like my belief system is creating my reality. Yeah. So now the question is, how do I know what I believe is actually true? Mm. And that scared the heck out of me because yeah. I didn't want to live a lie. Yeah. Right. And so I went and I found a long story. I found a church on Twitter mm. um, in Canada, Light City Church, which revolutionized my life. But I think the, the story that you want to get to is I'm driving down the interstate. And the Lord says to me, like, what do you want? Here I am. I left the NFL. I just went from playing in front of 90,000 people to now 
living in a very foreign city, not knowing what the heck I'm yeah. doing with my life, confused as heck, having a mental breakdown, using every ounce of mental capacity not to have a breakdown yeah. and pull myself together. And the Lord says, what do you want? And I said, and I in just- In terms of, not to interrupt, but just yeah. in terms of context here, like, I mean, you know, the, the kind of notoriety you had for, for what you did at West Point, like, I mean, it was a considerable career. Like, this was not yeah. a small thing to walk away. No, like, this was everything I've ever This was everything I've ever wanted. Like, I grew up in the Bible Belt of Texas Panhandle. Like, football wasn't just a game. Football was God's calling for my life. Mm. And so to walk away from it was this, like, spiritual experience in and of itself because I felt like I was turning my back on God. Yeah. As strange as that sounds. Yeah. Um, but the Lord asked me, like, straight up, he said, you know, um, what do you want the most? And I mm. said, I just want to be comfortable in my own skin. Mm. I want to feel like I belong. Right. And he says, well, like, have you ever stopped and asked what it looks like to lose your life? Mm. Right. And that was like, no, nope. <laughs> mm. you know, when God asks a question, it's like, he knows the answer. Yeah. But yeah. I think I, I, that <laughs> was like, the moment, yes. like my everyday pursuit of life is like, how do I find life? How do mm. I find life? How do I find life? What can I do differently? That gives me that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and gratitude and, mm. and love and acceptance in life. But how many of us have actually stopped and said, how do I lose my life? Right. Yeah. Like what does losing your life yeah. look like? Like that's the, that topic of conversation is not going to hit the New York times bestseller. And I'm so too. curious. I mean, I know you talked about like, and I, you know, our backgrounds are very similar in that sure. way. This very church, I mean, the thing about knowing how to talk in tongues before you barely do how to speak in English, I love. But how did you, like in that moment, how did you even recognize or discern that voice? Was like, was that a voice that you recognized from childhood? Like even to be able to, in that kind of a fog, to hear the voice of God, like what? No, I heard the voice of God after two bottles of wine. Mm. <laughs> I think there was enough, like, I think where like, I sit with a lot of people yeah. and I mentor a lot of, a lot of people. And I think I had the, the luxury of reaching the pinnacle of my career yeah. and realizing it wasn't enough. Mm. It still wasn't enough. Not that it was wrong. And I think it's easy. Like, that's why we built cases against like the rich and the famous and the powerful, like mm. rich, famous and powerful. There's nothing wrong in and of that in, like itself. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. It was just revealing what was wrong in me. I mm. get to the top. Suddenly the NFL reveals what's going on with me and I have a very big decision to make mm. because I went to West Point I'm an army officer I graduated the number one leadership school arguably in the world and I've got a lot of people who want to offer me amazing jobs yeah I'm talking like CEOs of fortune 500 companies are giving me a call and saying like hey come come work for us right mm -hmm. but I knew that if something didn't change I was going to experience the same thing that I experienced in the NFL mm. in a different environment Right. Mm. There was still that limitation on my life. And so I knew that something had to change. And I, I honestly say that's just the grace of God that I was willing, I had the courage to listen to that voice. Yeah. Um, and how old were you at the time? Uh, I want to say like 20, 26, 27. Wow. So yeah, talk about counterintuitive. I mean, you're, you've got the world in yeah. front of you and yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I thought that like my entire life, what I've been looking for in life to find that sense of belonging is just doing enough. Yeah. Like I graduated the top school in America. I'm in the NFL. I bobsled. I have the money. I have the car deals. I have all of this. And then suddenly I'm like, whoa, mm. I missed something. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Sure. 
right? But I've just, I think the big thing was like for the first time in my life, Jonathan, I had to, I had to walk away from the game so that I could go really discover who is Caleb Campbell because mm. I've never been able to actually answer that question, mm. right? So, oh. and it's so it's so interesting because I feel like you know we hear that phrase of Jesus of losing your life to find it, but I just think like that's, man, that's next level. I just think yeah. so many people think of that as I don't know. Um, some minor sacrifice. I remember as a kid in youth group when they give some kind of a call to like lay down your life. I mean, that, I mean, you, this is a very yeah. literal. Like, so, I mean, you were laying down your life, your life's work, your life's dream. My your identity is wrapped up my, in this. Yeah, every every way I found value, every way I found acceptance, every way I found love, every way I found connection, every way I felt like significant in life. Mm. I literally said here. Yeah. I didn't do it. I, I kicked and screamed mm. and it took me a good year to understand what was actually happening in my life. And that's why you played such a pivotal role because I was literally life as I knew it was crumbling. And then mm. suddenly I don't know how a lot of people ask me like, I'm a 26 year old kid. And like how many people have a four star United States army general call them and say, what are you doing? And wow. I say, hey, sir, I'm moving to Buffalo, New York, where I'm going to go to a church in, in Canada that I found on Twitter so I can lose my life. Man. <laughs> That's remarkable. And he's like, Caleb, you're, you're, you're committing career suicide. Yeah. It's the biggest mistake of your life. Don't mm. do it. But just this deep knowing that, okay, this has to happen. Mm. And so, yeah, there was this separation of like everything that I found value, acceptance, love, affirmation in was a suddenly ripped from me. And I think that's like, we have this natural tendency and you talk about it in the shipwreck to cling on to anything we can hold sure. on to. Right. And so it was in that moment where I was so vulnerable. I was so exposed and my deepest fear at this time is being exposed as a fraud. It's being exposed as a man mm. that doesn't have what it takes. Mm. Right. And so that was my deepest fear. And suddenly like I'm in this season of like completely stripped naked and I have nothing to cling on to. And just, just to be clear here, yeah. like, so, so you, did you have any idea what you were doing? I had zero to Buffalo? Idea. Just you're going to Buffalo to be, to connect with this church. That was all. Yeah. And I found this church on Twitter. Wow. I had no idea. Wow. I think I, I was looking for something specific. Um, I didn't mm. know what that was, but for whatever reason, I felt like the language um, that the church was offering was exactly what I needed it. But I think mm. more or less like finding your church, not finding church, it speaks volumes to finding your people, Yeah. finding your community. Yeah. Right. And I was talking about this earlier with Allison. It was like this idea that I don't know, like when I, when I found my community, I was thinking at this level. Mm -hmm. Suddenly I found my community and I realized that oh, I can think on this level. Mm. And suddenly that raised the standard in my life. Yeah. Right? Because ecosystems influence thoughts. Sure. And that's the power of community. Mm. Right? You're going to reap a harvest where you did not sow. Mm -hmm. You're going to live in homes that you did not build. You're going to, mm. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I walk into that house, I'm reaping a harvest where I did not sow because the standard of life, the standard of excellence in that mm. community automatically raised my standard if I allowed it. Yeah. And that was the powerful part of community to me. Yeah. And I mean, I know I talk in shipwreck about 
what it is to hit bottom. I'm curious, like for you, did you feel like you kind of hit bottom before you left or did that happen on the other side of leaving? Like, on the other the, side. Okay. Yeah. I felt like before I left, bottom was inevitable. Mm. I just didn't know it was bottom. I don't think you're ever in bottom when you think you're at bottom. <laughs> right. No, that's true. That is true, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, bottom hit though whenever like everything I have ever clinged to for life huh. was no longer available to me. I think that was actual bottom. Yeah. So that was on the other side. And it's, yeah. is this not, not trying to push at that moment? What the, the, I know you mentioned a particular moment for me of being, where did you stay? You, did you stay at the church? Okay. So... Yeah, that's the funny part. Like, I literally went from playing in the NFL, having a car deal, to having my own place, to loving life, to <laughs> sleeping on the floor of the mm -hmm. boiler room of the pastor of the church in his basement. That's amazing. Right? For, for almost four years. Wow. Like, and I just went through this process of being discipled, being mentored, mm -hmm. being teachable, so that I could, for the first time in my life, begin to understand the driving forces behind my life. Yeah. Why is it so important for me to succeed? Mm. What does it say about me if I do fail? Mm. Why am I so afraid of failing? There was just these questions that I never allowed myself to sit still with and allow myself to actually answer um, because I was always in the pursuit of more, 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 yeah. more success, more achievement because that was able to numb the pain, right? Mm. And so... I think that was my biggest like thing, Jonathan. I remember when I first moved to Buffalo, I met a homeless man. Hmm. And he said, he asked me for money. And I said, no. And he flipped on me. And he's hmm. like, bro, I just need a fix. That's straight up, he said that to me. Wow. And I was like, bro, I can help you, right? And I go and I have my coffee, I do my thing, and I leave and I see him and I'm walking away and suddenly it hits my heart. It hits my heart so hard that me and this guy are no different. Wow. The only difference between me and him is I've chosen a drug mm. that's socially acceptable. Mm. Success. Success numb my pain. If mm. I could just do more, if I could just achieve more, if I could just get to the next level, right? But the problem is it was never good enough. Yeah, well. It was never good enough. And that led me to this point of complete breakdown, complete mm. exhaustion. And for the first time, okay, like, wow, I realized that I have to, because the biggest issue with me, Jonathan, is like, I was constantly looking for this place to belong. I know I'm all over the place. I was constantly looking for this place to belong. Um, but the real issue is that I didn't belong to myself. Mm. And that's why I never felt comfortable in my own skin. What, what was the pain for you that you felt like you were trying to numb? Like, what, what was that core wound? I think the core wound was, it was that. It was just understanding that I constantly felt like, um, you know, like a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. Constantly felt like I was out of place. Constantly felt like I never belonged anywhere. Constantly feeling like something's wrong with me. Subsequently, constantly feeling massive amount of rejection, mm. right? But that led me to like, you know, we've talked about it before, but that in and of itself were the symptoms of deeper trauma yeah. that had transpired um, in my childhood. Mm. Right, little moments, and I think a lot of people hear the word trauma, right. and they don't realize that tr there's so many different shades of trauma. Mm. Trauma doesn't mean you were sexually molested or raped or, um, you know, like sold into traffic, into sex slavery, whatever it is. 
Um, trauma is as much as you were playing hide, hide and seek with your family and you went and hid and nobody came looking for you. Mm. Something seemingly so innocent that you would just say, oh, I was just a kid. No. But it sticks. That is having massive impact on your life because the biggest wake-up call that I had was this realization that there was a scared six-year-old boy running my life. Wow. And until I stopped everything mm. and went back and found healing in those moments, mm. my life was spiraling out of control. Mm. And I was literally just heaping piles on top of piles trying to figure out the answer, but right. their answer wasn't in there. And, and what, did, what did it mean for you to find healing? Like, what was that, what was that process? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, that's like, the church played a really big role in that for me personally, and it, and it became very systematic for me. I, I walked around like, and this is like something that I teach now, right? It's this idea of, My entire life, I would offset negative emotion. I'd be afraid to feel negative emotion. I feel anxious. I feel scared. I feel afraid. I feel lonely. I feel whatever it might be negative emotion-wise. I would immediately offset it. I'd immediately project it. I would immediately ignore it, do whatever I can to get rid of it, right? So I'd go cope with drinking or whatever it is. Um, suddenly, I realized that my negative emotions were like a neon sign of giant neon sign that was saying, Hey, your biggest breakthrough is right here. Mm. Your biggest breakthrough is right here. And this is why I preach vulnerability. This is why I preach holding space for other people. And what does it look like to hold space for other people? And why mm. is it so necessary to hold space for other people? It's because in those negative emotions, like I went a year and a half of my life where I'd carry a little notebook. And every time I felt a negative emotion, I don't care if I was driving, if I was at the grocery store, if I was at the bar, if I would, wherever I was, whenever I felt a negative emotion, I would stop. Mm. And I would say, what thought just went through my head? Mm. Right? Because I knew I had to get a control of my thought life. Yeah. That was the first step. And so I would grab that thought and I'd write that thought down. And the next day or the next time I was in meditation or spending time with the Lord, I would go find the truth to that thought. Right? Because I think a lot of people... We want to live an authentic life. We want to live a life where we feel like we belong, but what does that actually look like? Mm. Well, Light City Church is because they provided the ecosystem, the environment where I could come in and I would, I think the hardest part is like, first and foremost, like this willingness to be seen, mm, Yeah. right? But what my church and what this ecosystem did for me was like, they said, Caleb, we accept you. Mm. Like, we don't care about the NFL. We don't care about any of this. We accept you. Mm. And so for me, then that suddenly clicked where it was like, so let me show you the real me. Mm. It's almost like a game. Yeah. Let me show you the real me and see if you still say that. Mm. Wow. Right, right. Right. And so as soon as I was willing to show them the real me and then suddenly they didn't run mm. <laughs> and they didn't build a case against me mm -hmm. and they didn't demonize me, they didn't shame me but they just allowed me to be me and sit in that pain and be there and hold space for me. Yeah. Suddenly now it began the, uh, the dialogue of saying, okay, where did you learn this pain? Mm. And that's like the real crescendo of my story is I've constantly, constantly been looking for purpose in my life. I've constantly been looking for this place of belonging in my life. Yeah. Purpose was found in the pain. Wow. Right. Purpose was suddenly found the very thing that I've been running from my entire life. Mm. These, 
seemingly almost trivial moments in my childhood that a lot of people would never even think twice about right. were actually the driving forces behind my life. Wow. Yeah, if that makes sense. It makes so much sense, for sure, <laughs> man. Yeah, I don't know what happened with that. Um, we have a lot of cameras happening right now, so thanks for bearing with us. Um, it's interesting, too, when you talk about you talk about finding purpose in the pain and just the way that, I don't know, um, the ways that we, the, just the ways that pain really does clarify things. And pain has a way of teaching us things. Which I don't, yeah. I've never adopted a theology that, that that means that God necessarily explicitly causes mm -hmm. pain. In fact, I tend to think God doesn't directly cause pain. Mm -hmm. But the way that God is able to leverage anything, and pain in particular, I mean, I think it's Richard Rohr talks about how really the only two things that teach us are like great love and great suffering. Like those are the only things that ultimately open us up to grow or to change is like a really profound experience of love, which is one kind of vulnerability or really profound experience of pain. Yeah. I don't think you have to like experience pain to have transformation. Mm. That's it's, interesting. I think it just, it, I don't think our culture helps us. Yeah. I think our culture kind of, um, forces our hand to go the distance and until we hit rock bottom suddenly yeah but i think this is this is like <clears throat> what i was talking to you about today is like your ceiling is my floor mm. yeah right and i think that's so freaking important for men for people to understand in general yeah. that like i need to deal with my pain because pain that is not richard Ward says that pain that is not transformed is transferred absolutely right yeah. and now we're just repeating the cycle for the next generation for the right. next generation for the next generation right. it's this idea that i'm gonna rise up the buck stops with me i'm gonna deal with my pain i'm gonna sit in my pain because my pain is not who i am it's what i've experienced in my mm -hmm. life and disassociate any sense of identity with my pain mm -hmm. so that i can actually deal with my pain and now when i transform myself yeah suddenly that changes the world. Yeah. But it all starts with dealing with your pain. I find it so interesting now just even the timing of when you started listening to my teaching because, mm. you know, I mean, uh, you didn't, am, am I correct in assuming that when you connected with me was when I was kind of going through my thing? Wasn't I think you just walked away from church. Was, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah wow. you just walked away from your church. I think Jeez. I literally heard the message of you saying bye-bye. Wow, wow. <laughs> and that's when you first were discovering that. Yeah, I first said, I was on my hands and knees cleaning the bathroom toilets of my church. Wow. And thinking like, this is my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I volunteered for this, but mm. this is my life. Mm. And then suddenly I hear you speak your message. And I was like, who is this guy? And I remember cleaning the church with another man, with another guy, and I said, stop what you're doing, come listen to this. Mm. And I went and grabbed him and rewound the podcast and said, listen to this. Mm. And then from that moment, your message, because I think that's the, that's like the necessity of why we need to tell, like to own our pain yeah. and to tell our story yeah. is because our healing is not just for me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what it's about is being able to put to words what other people who are experiencing the same pain that you might have experienced 
and they can't put to words what you're feeling wow. or what wow. they're feeling. Yeah. And suddenly you put words to it and now that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And now that allows that exponential increase in their life mm-hmm. and it shifts them into, into a new season because it suddenly it makes sense why I'm doing what I'm doing. I can adjust accordingly. I can shift accordingly. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in a new season of life. Mm-hmm. Part of what makes that so inter- fascinating and so healing for me to hear even now is, you know, like I just, especially when I walked away from the, you know, just walking away from Novatus. In so many ways, I thought I was over. I thought my life was over. And it was interesting, like, because I remember uh, when I had taken a sabbatical and was in such a mess, uh, just everything in my head and heart was a mess, going on the spiritual retreat to San Diego. And I read Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward. And for the first time, I was able to hear Jesus' words about losing your life to find it in a different way. And like this sense of like, man, like maybe they're, like I just, I'd never thought of it in such literal terms. You really have to sometimes lose your life to find it. Because the image I kept having was that it's like I was falling, but I was clinging to every rung of the ladder on the way down, just anything to keep myself from falling and try to prop myself up, duct tape things together. And to think somehow that'd be the spiritual thing to do is knowing I was unwell, knowing I was in tatters, knowing like my soul wasn't well, my heart was like every, like every, like so much, so much was diseased, but I felt like it would be the noble thing. Yeah. But it, but I just know that like when I made the decision to walk away, there was both a sense of peace and I felt like a sense of that's what the Holy Spirit was directing me to do. It was the only thing to be right to do. Did you know what it was about to look like? I had no clue. Yeah. And that's why this is so amazing to me now. Yeah. And even our connection and friendship, because at the time what I thought is that, okay, from walking away from vocational ministry in that way, I thought like, man, this is it. Like, this is it. Like, I'm not... My time of being useful to anybody is done. My time of my story being useful to anybody is done. Like, I mean, I just so thought, oh, I'm doing... And it, those sermons in particular were interesting those last few months because I didn't know this at the time. Like, you would think that I had plotted it, but it wasn't like that. Like, I kind of preached my way out of the church, not knowing yet that was what I was doing because it was happening in real time. But, like, looking back, I mean, those were the sermons of, like, a a, a dying man. There was, like, so much blood and guts in them, like... And it was interesting because in that way, when you are especially dependent on the Holy Spirit, it seemed like God used them in a really profound way. But I mean, I mean, there was no like, okay, now for a summer series on <laughs> joy in Philippians. Like I was dying. I was dying and didn't know that's what I was doing, but I was bleeding out. And I remember just by the end, just feeling so, you know, feeling so foolish and thinking like, man, this is just like potentially end of story, maybe end of any kind of like influence. So it's so extraordinary to me now, like in a, in a relationship like ours, that that was kind of the beginning of you connecting with me was in that place of pain. Here where I'm thinking like, this is way too, this is way too screwed up. This is way too messy for God to be able to use it. And yet I feel like now so many relationships that are most valuable actually started in that season. It was like, because before I tried so hard to be an empathetic person. Like I think empathy was a value for me. Like I wanted understand I wanted to relate but really I just hadn't experienced that kind of pain I'd experienced sin I'd experienced failure and all of a sudden I'm just I'm just a guy you know who desperately in need of Jesus because that was part of the revelation for me I think I thought like in walking away I had been a vocational Christian for so long my friend Mike says a professional Christian for so long I really thought maybe the only thing that's holding me together here is is 
you know, I, maybe if, if I didn't have a paycheck, would I even believe in Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out to be so opposite of that. It's like yeah. I, I walked away and I was clinging to Jesus like a drowning man. My faith had never been more alive, more vibrant, more active. God was never more real to me than yeah. he was like in the midst of that place. But I, you know, I tell people even now, it's like, I feel like when you have it and when you really do hit bottom that way, it just, it changes the way you see the world. It changes the way you see yourself. All of a sudden you're able to recognize people who are suffering. They're able to recognize you. Like, it's like your whole, like your whole way of, of seeing just changes. I didn't yeah. mean to go off into the whole thing. No, I just think it's fascinating to, to, for that. That did not hit me before right now. Just how profound it is to me. Yeah. So many beautiful relationships like this one that really began in that season and with that kind of honesty. People are afraid to go into that season because they think they're alone. They think right. they're losing sure. their mind. They think that like, holy hell, yes. if I go into this season, I am a mess. Yeah. And I am going to like, what a culture values, we fear that we are not. Mm. Right. So what a culture values, we fear that we are not. And so like, especially if you're in a church and a culture values living by faith yeah. and, and, and hearing the voice of the Lord and yeah. from glory to glory, um, and living in the Christian life and what that's all about mm. suddenly, like, it's like, hold on, my life is spiraling out of control. I can't accept that it's spiraling out of control and meet God in the brokenness of my life. Yes. Because if I do that, that threatens the connection that I'm actually going after. Yeah, that's right? right. But I think the real thing is, is like the connection that we're going after is the connection with ourself. Yeah. Right. And until you're reduced to nothing, mm. only then can you find something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that lasts. But like, it's, are you willing to be reduced to nothing and yeah. a lot of times in our pain like you had just said in our pain we're constantly trying to hold on to something we're trying to you know in my pain what yeah. I did to make it relevant like and to make it real like every time my life starts spiraling out of control and I'm in, in the book it's going to be very vibrant mm. every time I, my life started spiraling out of control at a follow point to this I would go and find a relationship mm. not just a relationship but a girl that needed me hmm. so that I felt like I can fix her. And so that, that would make me feel like I was more in control. Wow. A point on top of that, did you know that the only industry in a recession that actually makes money is the fitness industry? I had no idea. Wow. S strangely enough, only the fitness industry because there is psychologically this idea that if I can go in and complete a workout, yeah. it proves to me that I can actually control the result. I see. Well, so we want to stay in control, right? Sure. And so it's this idea of like, a lot of times people are in the season of for the first time losing their lives so that they can actually mm -hmm. find their life, but losing their life means that I have to remove every way that I find life, love, affirmation, mm -hmm. acceptance, and be reduced to nothing Ooh. and being able to sit there yeah. and not do anything. Yeah. That's so, and that's so hard for me to hear even now, right? Because I think right. even on the other side of going through such a thing, like, you still just find yourself trying to cling on to different things. But the God you meet there, yeah, I'm telling you, like, I thought I knew the love of God. Mm. Like, oh. What was different about encountering God in that space? It was tangible. Mm. I grew up in the Bible Belt of Texas where I've always known that, like, Jesus loves me. Yeah. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. If I actually believe that Jesus loves me, I wouldn't be so worried about what other people think about me. Yeah. If I actually believe that Jesus loves me, I wouldn't be so worried about failure. Mm. If I actually believe, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like do. if you actually believe that Jesus loves you, mm -hmm. you would not be so concerned about X, Y, and Z. Mm. And suddenly reduced down to nothing, 
and my deepest fears came true and I was faced with the reality of what people think about me and so on and so forth and I met the God of love in that moment, wow. Wow. that was real. Mm. That you, I felt the tangible love of God when I had absolutely nothing to offer. I believe it, man. I've experienced it. Nothing, the, yeah. the phrase you use is so evocative to me of like, the worst thing came true. Like mm -hmm. the thing you feared the most, you know, it's like that there's something about that surviving a car wreck that you know you shouldn't have made it through. And then like when you, when you walk away from that and like every yeah. moment's a gift, like I thought, I thought I shouldn't be here, but I'm still here. I thought to lose this would be to lose everything. Yeah. It's a whole different quality of life when everything inside you says, <laughs> I should be finished. I should be done. But you know, I'm, I'm still here and God is I think still I told here. you this, but like, we can wrap it up whenever it's like this idea of when I was in the NFL and anytime somebody walked into the locker room that was new, you knew that I better get my crap together hmm. because this person is coming after my job. Yeah. Wow. Even if it wasn't in my same position, mm -hmm. that was the worst mm. because if it was in some other position, that means they got to cut another position to make room for this person. Mm. So there were always these, what we would call free agents that would walk into the locker room. Free agents were essentially practice dummies for a lot of times. Mm. They were practice dummies. We just needed bodies to beat up. They were nobodies in the NFL world. Um, and we just needed use them, get rid of them. Mm. Those were the people that you had to watch out for the most. Wow. Why? They had nothing to lose. Mm. Nobody expected them to make it. Yeah. And because they had nothing to lose, they lived with this absolutely relentless relentless pursuit of life on the football field. Mm. They were not scared. Mm. And I, and I remember thinking about that and saying like, as Christians, the reason why it's so important to walk through this process of losing your life yeah. is because the God calling on your life mm. and what God is calling you to do on the other side of that shipwreck on the other side of being reduced now to nothing and being brought up as a yeah. son and understanding of son, you have to be willing to count the cost and realize that you have nothing to lose. Wow. I'm not trying to protect my reputation. Yeah. I'm not trying to protect of how you think about me. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to protect my financial, my wow. finances. I'm not trying to protect nothing because I know that what God is calling to me to do, he's a good, good God. Yeah. All things come together for the good. He's not calling me to be a martyr or anything. I'm not saying that, sure. but what he's going to call what he's calling me to do is going to cost me. Yeah. And if I don't know who I am, yeah. I'll crumble. I remember I haven't thought about this in a while, but it was so powerful for me kind of at the, when I was at my own bottom reading Catherine Dowling Singh's book, The, the Grace of Dying. Dying. Yeah. Which this, really you know, well. Buddhist lady and PhD hospice worker who's been with, you know, walk with like a hundred people through the dying process. And, but the thesis of that book, she talks about how if a person has time to die, that he, whether it's for a short while or longer, that people inevitably, no matter where they come from, their religious background, their demographic, whatever, experiences profound freedom right towards the end. Like yeah. when the ego has been completely stripped. Now that's after walking through all the stages of denial and anger and, you know, I can't believe this because you know the dependence of it and the body shutting down. And, you know, having to depend on other people for the most basic, there are fireworks happening outside right now. That's like, amazing. That? <laughs> this is Holy Ghost confirmation happening right now. Um, but like, it was so, uh, but like, it's, it's, it's so awful, but yet there's, there's this window of freedom that, that the dying only know on the other side of the ego being completely stripped. And so where that struck me so hard and she does incorporate the language of Jesus and of various Christian mystics and all that, but I'll never forget this. It's not till I think more towards the end of the book, she even raises the question. 
is it possible while you're still alive to live with the qualities of the dying? <laughs> and that question is one that still like haunts me still. Because I feel like even on the other side of that, you know, it's like you go through this kind of ego deconstruction, you lose everything, but then immediately you start clinging on to stuff again. I mean, we're always kind of grasping and like, is it like how, how long or how, how possible is it to kind of live with that, with the qualities of the dying in life to truly, you know, to kind of, yeah. to kind of live in that place? What does it look like for you now to try to live in this place? Yeah, I think it's always like... Um, the greatest thing and a lot of the healing that's happened in my life is being able to deploy self-awareness in my life. Mm. And I'm not trying to fix myself and constantly have this place where like there's no pain in me anymore like yeah. because I know that's just not true. But it's always being able to do a very healthy and thoughtful examine of my intention mm. behind my pursuits. Yeah. Am I doing what I'm doing and being honest with that. Mm -hmm. Is it because that I am afraid of living an insignificant life and I'm doing everything in the name of Jesus so that I could feel more better about myself? Yeah. Or is it because I'm legitimately caring about the one and I want to see their soul transformed yeah. on earth? Mm -hmm. Not just like talking about the pearly gates of heaven here. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's like more or less for me is consciously living with a sense of heightened awareness in my life mm. of understanding my, the driving forces behind my life. Yeah. What are the driving forces behind my life? What are the motives behind my life? Mm. Why do I do what I do? And being real with the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm afraid of running out of money. Sure. I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm afraid of what other people think. I'm doing what doesn't make you less of a person, yeah. but it's just not rooted in truth. Mm -hmm. And the result of that is the fact that you're living a lie yeah. because that's coming. If it's not coming from the truth, it's coming from a lie. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the refractory period? Yeah. Right. And so like, if you look at it, like in between stimulus and action yeah. is a response is an intention of how you're going to respond to it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what happens is, is that that refractory period, usually the last minutes or hours, what happens is you have a mood, mm. right? And suddenly you say like, I responded to this and I'm just in a mood, leave me alone, I'm in a mood, right? That's where we get a mood from. Mm -hmm. If you don't actually change the narrative of that refractory period, that refractory period goes from a mood to days to weeks to months mm. and suddenly we have what we call temperament. Mm. Why is that guy so bitter? Why is that girl so bitter? That's a temperament, right? If you don't change the refractory period after that, Suddenly you go from days, from months to years, you have personality. Yeah. Pain has literally shaped your personality. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm. And now you're living from that place of personality. Your mm. personality is dictating your life, your thoughts mm. and how you respond to it. And it's all coming from a moment of pain. Wow. A moment that's lied to you. Mm. Because I guarantee you what you learn in that moment of pain is a perversion of the truth. Right. Right. The devil can't create anything. It's just a perversion of the truth. Sure. Right. And so until we're able to stop everything, hence why I stopped <laughs> my, <Yeah>. my <laughs> plug here, <laughs> um, until we stop everything, it's just this idea of like, am I living from a place of a lie or am mm. I living from a place of truth? And mm -hmm. that's going to determine the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the sense of purpose, the sense of belonging, the sense of difference that I'm making in the world. Yeah. That's all it is. So I think for me to answer your question is it's just a very heightened sense of awareness and a very childlike faith. Yeah. Wow. A very yes. childlike yes. faith of just ask curiosity so of like, why do I believe this? Why am mm -hmm. I thinking this? Why do I respond like this? What is this all about? 
And I think I get criticized a lot for it because they said, like, get out of your head. Yeah. No. I'm going to find the balance, mm. but I'm not going to get out of my head because when I get out of my head, that is when I live a, or get out of my heart and I move to my head, I live a very, very shallow life. I see. Right. And I'm dictated by my feelings. Mm. Feelings, if you take anything away from this, feelings lie to you. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. That's right. What you yeah. feel might not be actually the truth. Yeah, yeah very much so. What do you like? Um, I know we probably need to wrap this up, but I feel like this. Is, I actually thought about this question earlier today and didn't think to ask it. I'm curious if you. So I think, like in your case, Caleb, you had you had certain dreams that you realized, and then you were able ultimately to walk away. I just got to think, especially the way that the American dream works, the way a lot of us are sort of programmed to think. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a lot of people who hear your story. And it's like, oh, that's great, and they love the. They love the story of why you walked away, but ultimately would probably still say, that's awesome. But I still really would like to get to that place to be able to have it to walk away from. Like, thank you for that great spiritual truth. Also, how did you get there? You know, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. sincerely for people who, um, who mm-hmm. don't feel like they've got to that place of having dreams fulfilled, mm-hmm. you know, to use the word of the Langston Hughes poem, the dreams yeah. have been deferred. Yeah. And there's not been a sense of realization. And yet, you know, the, the ego stuff still works the same way and we're still clinging. Like, so what do you say to people yeah. for whom, who are not at the height of something, haven't experienced mm-hmm. the mountaintop in terms of some kind of vocational success, and yet are still struggling with the same uh, lack of fulfillment? Stephen Furtick, I'm giving you a shout out right now. Stephen I saw Furtick, that. What's up, we man? love you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello Listen, from Nashville. I love Jonathan, Sorry. but if I could hang with you, man. <laughs> I, I will happily give you a shout out, friend. Good to see you. <laughs> Please keep going. <laughs> yeah, I think very, very important. Um, no matter where you are in life, like stop and ask why it's so important to you. Yeah. But I think even more importantly of that, of like examining the driving forces behind your life, what's more important than that is allowing somebody else to speak into your life. Yeah, yeah. I think that is like, especially with the younger generation, that is such a missing component of allowing somebody to speak into my life. Because I think a lot of times we draw identity in being right. Mm. And suddenly if we allow somebody else to speak into our life and they say something that is contrary to what I perceive to be the truth, it threatens my sense of identity. Sure. And I can't confront what if I'm wrong? Mm. That means I'm living a lie. Yeah. But at the end of the day, whether you're 19, 20, 21, or 50, 55, 60 years old, like you still have a chance to live an authentic life. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, I think, uh, Jonathan, like allowing somebody else to speak into my life. Otherwise, like what I perceive to be true is my limitations. Yeah. And they might not be true. And I don't know what's true unless I align what I believe to be true and and view it in the light of truth and have somebody else to speak into my life. Mm. However, with that being said, I do think that you need to be very aware of who you're asking to speak into your life. Yeah, well. I am, and even I was talking to Allison today, um, I am very cautious to allow somebody, I don't care if you have experienced massive success, I don't care if you're a multimillionaire, I don't care if you're driving Ferraris, I don't care what you're doing. If you haven't owned your pain, mm. if you haven't experienced pain, if you haven't been reduced down to rub- rubble, you're not speaking into my life. Mm. 
And I think it's really important to build rapport with people, to serve other people's visions, to be mentored so that you can begin to allow like, is this somebody that's qualified to speak into my life? Mm. And a lot of that is the Holy Spirit. Is God like, God sent me from, like, I went to Canada and had a, a pastor in Canada that was a, uh, you know, a corporate man speaking. It revolutionized my life. Mm. But this man also spent a year literally in a fetal position in his bed being mentally tormented. Wow. And he fought his way through that. Mm. He was qualified to speak into my life, and that's and that's so counterintuitive. The idea so that, that suffering, like, is because what... I think it's naturally what it, naturally not to cut you off. It's like, no, no, oh, I good, want please. somebody to speak into my life. Yeah. Oh, let me go get uh, X millionaire, X entrepreneur that's sure. doing massive things, and I allow them to speak into my life. No, wait, hold on. I'm not saying nothing's wrong with them. Yeah. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. Have they experienced a level of pain, and have they actually found healing yes. in that moment? Yes. Wow. I think it's just really important that you are aware of asking that question. What are the motives behind my decisions? Mm-hmm. Why is it so important to me to be successful and to do God's calling in my life and to, and to be somebody? Why, why is that so important? Um, and then also allowing another outside voice to speak into my life. Mm-hmm. I think that's incredibly important now more so than ever before. Yeah. I want to talk about everything, but, but one more thing I wanted yeah. to ask. I feel like it's so important. You know, I, I feel like, uh, <laughs> love you too, Kim. Part of what I think is so unique and wonderful about your own witness is that, I mean, like, to, I mean, even to look at Caleb now, I mean, like, you still have the 21 inch neck. And, like, it's so, that's part of what's so interesting now when I'm like seeing the stuff even you post on social media and all that is that. It's so vulnerable. And I feel like you're the kind of person that people often are going to look to and the, the, the spirit behind it is going to be like, you know, I don't know. There's so many different ideas right now about masculinity and what it is to be masculine, what it is, like, what it is to be a man. And then, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I would just love to get your riff on all of that because, you know, at the same time now there's a lot of pushback. People talk about like toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. I mean, for somebody who would be regarded as kind of a... A man's man, like what? Did, how do you, how do you think about that now? How do you think about what it is to like to is, is to to own your story as a man to transition into manhood in a culture where we often don't have those kind of rights of initiation? Like what is that? Yeah. How do you think about those things? Quick now? story. I don't know if I told you this, but I was back home during Christmas. Um, oh, ten percent. We're so we're good. I was back home during Christmas a couple days ago, or a couple uh, Christmases ago, and I love my father. Mm. I have a great dad, um, a phenomenal dad, and my dad was somebody that was very introverted, never opened up, but a hard worker. Mm. And one random moment, he decides to open up to me, and he begins to express to me a fear he has about mm. life. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, "Wait, what?" What are you afraid of? And he explains it to me and I said, where did that come from? He also then explains to me that his father, my great grandfather, or my grandfather dealt with this fear, Mm. right? And so I'm saying, at the time, I'm sitting there thinking, Jonathan, like, hold up. You're telling me my grandfather dealt with the fear, you dealt with this fear, because I'm sitting there and I'm holding a knife because I'm slicing limes Mm. uh, to squirt on our barbecue, and I'm literally stabbing the limes because I'm like, Mm. I deal with this same fear. This is dictating my life right now. And it's gone from one generation to another generation to another generation. Mm. And as a man, I'm sitting there and I'm saying the buck stops with me. 
And I think the biggest definition of manhood right now is this willingness to say that the buck stops with me because like I said earlier, pain that's not transformed is transferred. Yeah. And the greatest thing that we as men can do is to own our pain. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. We want as men to live brave and courageous lives. There is no such thing as brave and courageous lives without vulnerability. Mm. Well, at all. Yeah. And we have been conditioned to think that if we are vulnerable, it's a sign of weakness mm. and it threatens us and emasculates us. Mm. And it is the biggest demonic lie. For a transfer rather like that, just kind of, wow. The, 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 as, Cause I think we can still think of dealing with our own pain as kind of a selfish thing, but ultimately it's like, we're, no. <laughs> we're not in a place where we can serve people. What yeah. good are we to the world until we deal with those issues? Okay. Honest to goodness, last question. And this yeah. is just, this is a short one. Got this from Barbara Brown Taylor. And I always think oh. about it. So brilliant. What yeah, Caleb, what is saving your life right now? Wait, what? What's saving your life right now? Uh, wine. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? Like what, I, like what, like, like what, well, in this moment, like what's the thing right now that's like, that's keeping you going? Like what's the, the revelation, oh, the idea, the thing that like right now is just like in the midst of a time when there's a lot of chaos and a lot of instability. What, what's yeah, keeping you I close? Think, I think the purpose is in the pain. Mm, yeah. The purpose is in the pain. The purpose is in the pain. The purpose is in the pain. Man. And so like, like just to answer that question, like you can't go, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong with this and you can totally rebuke me on live, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook live right here. But like, if your soul wants to play this human game of yeah. showing the world what love looks like, mm. you have to fear, you have to experience betrayal. Mm. Well, yeah, geez. Wow. If you want to show what massive acceptance looks like, mm. ex- you have to experience rejection. Right. And so the purpose is in your pain. Mm. And so literally, if I can say anything to anybody that's actually still listening right now, mm. if you're looking for a sense of purpose in your life, it's, I'm telling you right now, on, and maybe you can attest to this, your purpose is found in your pains. And the deepest right. parts of your pain, where you were shamed, where you were humiliated, where you were hurt. So, and you've been running from that, that place in your entire life. What you're actually looking for in life is not going to come from your next job promotion. Mm. Not bad. It's not going to come from your next pay raise. Not bad. Awesome. But your actual purpose, where you feel like you're actually contributing to society and you have a sense of Mm. fulfillment and belonging, it's going to come from those deepest, darkest monsters, those sea monsters and those darkest moments of your life. And it's in your willingness to realize that pain is not who you are. It's just something that you've experienced and you're already as loved as you can possibly be. Yes. And therefore you can go deal with it. Yes, that's so right. Well, I mean, it is such a, that's such a premise of, of my book of how to survive a shipwreck. It's just that idea of like encountering God from the bottom changes everything. And the sea monsters we wrestle with down there, you know, which I'm still wrestling with very much, man. Purposes in the pain. Thank you so much, Kev. This has been awesome. We've been hanging out for the last two days. Like this is all we've been doing, on, not just on camera, but all, but off. This is so such a gift to have you on, son of a preacher man. For those of you who are new uh, to the podcast, that comes out twice a week. So I hope you subscribe. We definitely appreciate if you would share, uh, like, uh, support us on Patreon, all that kind of good stuff. 
I am so happy to announce, I feel like it's not a terrible spoiler because you drove by this before, mm -hmm. but that Caleb is actually writing this tremendous story down. So I'm, but that's part of your trip. Yeah, that's part of and I'm trip. so pumped about this yeah. because I think Caleb's story is such an important one and one that needs to be told to the world. And I'm thankful that you'd be willing to share it with us tonight. So thank you, my no, friend. Thank so you. good to have I appreciate you. appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Good to see you guys. Good night, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. No matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will be a resource in helping you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. To support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash sonofapreacherman and help us keep making these episodes that bring life to people in need. And for more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and sign up for our email list. And follow Jonathan on Instagram and Twitter. Have a good day.